we put that team back on the map, man. Like, there were some bleak times there for a while. For that next five or six years, he was the best power forward in the game. There was a confidence that we believed if we went out and played the way we were capable, we could score every shift. Now it's kind of league-wide. I want to come see the West Coast Express, you know, see these guys in action. That line sold tickets. That line cared about the community. That line gave back. We knew that we would never be satisfied unless we would win the cup. Everything, the whole thing. It's like a bad nightmare happened. In a matter of seconds, I mean, lives basically changed forever. Well, welcome to the bonus episode of Unreal West Coast Express. The format's going to be a little different in this than what you heard throughout the series. Now, since the completion of the podcast, I have been flattered. I've been humbled. There have been times that I've been overwhelmed personally with all of the glowing reviews, the commentary from the audience. And it's been really interesting for me to see and hear which parts of the series resonated with all of the listeners. So it just seemed to make sense to me to find out what the guys at the center of the story thought of how this story came together, how their story was presented. So for the first time in a long time, we have all of the members of the West Coast Express together. We've got Marcus Nasland, Todd Bertuzzi, and Brendan Morrison. Thank you guys all for doing this. I want to dive right into this here, right off the top. And Marcus, I'll start with you because you were the first phone call I ever made when I considered putting this project together. I want each of you to answer this, but Marcus, you first. How did this series compare to what you thought it might be when I called you all of those months ago to do an interview? Well, uh, to be honest, I, I didn't even remember after <laughs> it took a while and, and I didn't even think about something like this coming out of it. So, um, no, I, I was uh, blown away with, with the, the quality of uh, people that you got involved and, and the way you, um, well, at least for me, it got, got me in, in emotionally involved. Uh, it brought back a lot of memories and really nice to, to revisit. What about you guys? How about you, Bert? Yeah, I'll piggyback on uh, on Marcus. I think the quality and credibility of the individuals that you had uh, to come on the podcast and speak about our line, uh, the years that we played together. Over time, as I was listening, there was a lot of stuff that I don't remember and I forgot. It was a, it was a refresher. And I think, like the other guys are going to say, it brought back a lot of memories uh, and a few what-ifs. It, it was done tremendously i think uh everyone that uh, listened in on my end enjoyed it and learned a lot more than uh that we actually even really knew mo yeah for me i mean it, it it superseded any expectation that i had you took all of us back i think on a journey in our career that were for me the, the best years of of playing hockey just the intimate detail to see how everything was pieced together like todd mentioned a lot of the a lot of the details you got into, you know, I, I didn't remember and, and didn't understand the full story of how it all came together. So to kind of go back in time and relive those moments, um, like Marcus said, was was emotional, but it was also a lot of fun. And um, yeah, it had me it had me fired up, like it made me want to play again. <laughs> so it was uh, it, it really hit home and, and very appreciative of the job that you did. So we're having this conversation now, but Todd, I'm I'm wondering how much the three of you guys and maybe other people were talking during the series when each episode was coming out. I, I think after an episode came out, I think I think after a couple of days, it sunk in on different 
things that occurred and happened. I thought it was healthy discussion. I thought it was great discussion. I think there there hasn't been a time where we've actually, just the three of us have sat down and really had time to digest it. I know we all showed up in Vancouver for a ceremony, but there was a lot going on. I don't think we've actually had time to get away and actually have open discussions about uh, a lot of things, a lot of positive things, good things, things uh, that we wish could have been different and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I think overall, it was just fun to connect and talk about a lot of things that uh, went down on the podcast. For me, it was. Marcus, did you have former teammates and maybe peers reach out? And if so, what were those conversations like while this series was coming to fruition? Maybe not so much teammates and peers, but but uh, family and friends here in Sweden that found out about the the podcast. No, I, I think it it just brings back the feeling when you listen to it to the the friendship that me, Todd, and Brendan had and and still has. But it, it over the years, it's obviously different. Me living in europe it's different it's difficult to to stay in touch as closely as, as you'd like to and and this was a great opportunity to to reconnect and and hopefully um get a chance to to get together now when covid is gone and all that stuff hopefully we can get together and, and um talk about life in general and and talk about our memories together because we have so many but like Todd said too, that there is obviously that what if uh, we, uh, I mean, we believe that we were strong enough to, to at some point win the cup, um, and uh, every every team has to to get over obstacles and challenges. I just hope at some point that we would get a, a, a lucky bounce that we maybe didn't deserve uh, because I, I think there was a lot of injuries and, and things that happened to to key players at key moments that, that really rattled us. So that's the downside, if you will, or the what if, the sliding doors, whatever you want to call it. But the upside to me, as I talk to you guys and I talk to a lot of your former teammates and managers and coaches the upside is how you guys all grew up together. And Brendan, I don't know how it compared to going to college at Michigan, but you guys were so lucky in my view that most of that team was same age range. The fact that you guys all ended up on the same line is just wild considering you all were drafted by organizations and all of these different things acquired by different general managers. But when you think about it now, Mo. How wild is it that you guys were able to almost have that college experience as you grew up together and grew up with this city to a certain degree in Vancouver? Yeah, I think that's a good comparable, Scotty. Um, you know, when you go to school, you're around like-minded people around the same age and you're doing the same things. And that's really what happened to us in Vancouver. Um, you know, we all started our careers with one team. For whatever reason, things didn't work out. We go to Vancouver, uh, obviously a tremendous hockey market. I'm not going to say we all got a second lease on our careers. We were all still young, but I think we all had a bit of a chip on our shoulder and wanted to prove that we could play and be successful. And to be able to do that, not only with, with Marcus and Todd, but other guys on our teams during that time that were all relatively close in age, yeah, you, you did kind of grow up together. We all had kids that were similar ages. Um, we all had similar interests. You know, when you play professional sports and, and especially hockey, you know, for six, seven months out of the year, you probably spend more time with your teammates than you do with your families. So, I mean, essentially your team becomes your family. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate to be surrounded by tremendous people 
not only hockey players, but, uh, but, uh, people, you know, in the dressing room and, and, uh, you know, off the ice and experiencing different cities when you travel. And it was really, a, a, it was a fun environment to be a part of. Todd, I'll turn this over to you and maybe you guys can go around and if there's something you want to throw in there, please do. There were a lot of people who took the opportunity to lend their voices to this series. Which of them stood out for you or surprised you or perhaps even made you emotional, Todd, when you were listening to this series? I, th- I think it was pretty, it, w- it was everyone, Brad, Berkey. It was a great collection, a group of people that had the utmost respect for us and what we were able to accomplish together. I think when you look at it, sometimes you can have individual success, but when you can have, you can have two guys doing it, but when you have three guys that are on the same page, that's not an easy thing to accomplish. You got three different minds, but the one thing that we collectively want to do was push each other to become better. And I think when Mo said chip on the shoulder, I believe we had a chip on the shoulder to prove to the organizations uh, that we were drafted by that, that they got rid of us too early, that uh, they didn't see what they had. And I think we all came together and drove each other and pushed each other. And the best part is we all wanted success for each other. There wasn't a day like if I didn't have a point and these guys had two, I was as happy for them as if it was the other way around. That was the thing. We weren't selfish. We tried to make sure that Everyone distributed puck, got together and all that kind of stuff. It was just, it's, it's, for me, it's the fact that the three of us could coexist and, and keep a very good solid friendship, but also have the on ice success uh, together. What about for you, Marcus? Was there anyone who lent his voice to this podcast that stood out? Well, I have to, to agree with Todd. I, I think every, everyone that, that, that was a part of it were, are high profile hockey people and, and also people that I, I respect, um, so it's it's flattering hearing their view of of uh, our line and also what we meant uh, for the game. That that I mean, the greatest player that's ever played said that he, he thought that we kind of changed the game a little bit in the way that we were uh, thinking and and how we played together in a, in a tough era where, where it was it was low scoring and it was difficult to get chances but we found ways to do that um, and that's I mean that's obviously very humbling hearing that but I I, I agree I mean I, I think you you don't realize it before it, before it's gone uh, until it's gone and and it, it it was so obvious for me when when I didn't have Todd and Brendan um, by my side, it, it was uh, such a challenge to 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 get the scoring chances or or to to play my game. Um, so I owe these two so much uh, for my career, just in the way they uh, uh, they compromised many times, but but also how they how they gave me an opportunity to to play play my game. Uh, so I think that. That's also one part that that makes our relationship unique is that we fed off each other, and I mean we were we were pushing each other too, and we were hard mostly on mobile, but because he was the distributor and he was the one who, who got the puck initially and 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 did the dirty work in the D zone, but uh, we had our utmost respect for for what Brendan brought to to our line and. Um, yeah, so I, I think it, it was uh, such a wonderful time. And, and looking back at it, I, I just wish that it lasted a little longer. 
Yeah, I don't know if you guys can manufacture it here during this call, but Mo, we actually had a listener saying, how heated did it actually get between the three of them on the bench or in the dressing room? Like, what did that look like? <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of people would call it entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was it was funny. There'd be times when, I remember one time Todd and I didn't talk to each other for like five days. <laughs> like we would, we would, he'd walk by me on the plane and wouldn't even look at me. And then finally, I think it culminated in a big wrestling match or something like that. Or these guys jumped me in Florida one time. And after a pregame skate, I was so exhausted for the game that night, trying to fight these guys in the dressing room. I was just <laughs> gassed, but, <laughs> but uh, no, it was funny. I mean, it was, it was as, as serious and as it got at times, I think we all understood the right intention was there and and one it was team success right and it was okay what can we do uh to help the team win games and yeah there were certain times when you know maybe uh a guy was available and didn't get the puck and they wouldn't be happy about it because there were certain there was a certain stretch there for a couple of years where we felt like every time we stepped on we had a chance to score as an offensive player that doesn't happen all the time. But when you're in that place mentally and you feel like you can do that, it's a, it's, I guess they kind of talk about being in the zone. And when you're in the zone and you have that moment, you want the puck all the time because you feel you can make a difference. So I think there were some times when, when that did happen and, and uh, we'd come back and get a little heated or, you know, get upset if, if, if we didn't score or, you know, we only scored one in a game, but Hey, I, I think that's what pushed us and, and, and made us, you know, have that chemistry together. There was never any, you know, grudge for too long. There was never any hard feelings. I mean, we were all, you know, fairly mature about it. And, um, you know, we could move on and, and, and just understand that we each wanted the best for each other. How often did you guys wrestle, Bert? I think we wrestled enough. I think most <laughs> not inaccurate. Um, I kind of, I kind of make it, I, I kind of put it towards uh, Mo was the quarterback and then you had two prima donna wide receivers that wanted a little bit of attention and a lot of attention. And it was up to Mo on how to handle it and distribute the puck properly. But like, like Mo said, it was, um, we were young. We wanted to win. We wanted to be successful. And like he said, when we stepped on the ice, it, it felt like any time that we wanted to, we can score. And I'll say what Marcus said about when, when Wayne said that, who I vitalized for a long time. When he says that our line possibly changed the style uh, of play when it was clutching, grabbing, it, it was it was slow. There was hooking, water skiing, all this kind of stuff, and we played kind of a globe trotter kind of east, west, north, south kind of style of hockey that other lines weren't doing, and teams had to prepare and change on how they played us. And I think that was one of the biggest compliments I received or we received from. Uh, from the podcast that was a that was a curveball man when 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 Wayne came in early on in the in the podcast I, I was like I was blown away by it I mean it was really shocking and and something super super cool like Marcus and Tabo said I mean I grew up in the west coast and and idolized him as well so for him to come in and say that I mean it was like I need to rewind that and listen to it again does this really happen so that was cool. Thanks. Well, and he contributed in a number of different ways, but I do want to play the clip that Marcus referenced because a couple other people said the same thing, but for listeners who may have forgotten, or if you guys don't remember all the details, here's what Wayne Gretzky had to say about your impact on the NHL. Well, they were tremendous. And you know, what made the line so unique, obviously their hockey instincts and their unselfishness to play together. 
But I, I say this to people back when they were doing what they did, we were still in that era of how do we prevent goals? No foreign fours, clutching and grabbing and hooking were heavily involved. And Mario was probably the most outspoken person that really finally got everybody to understand that, you know, the game has to change. We can't be hooking and holding. And then the slashing that went on that we needed to let the skill of the game come to the forefront. So what those guys did in that era is pretty remarkable. Today, you know, there's three on threes and four on fours, and you get a power play, the face-off starts in the offensive zone. So we've, we've gone from trying to figure out ways to prevent goals to try to figure out ways, how can we have more goals and make it more exciting for the fans? And that line is part of, you know, the reason or the success of the National Hockey League to why people wanted to see the rules change because of skill and talent like those three guys had. It's pretty incredible to hear him say that. Ed Jovanovsky said something similar. Alex Ald alluded to that as well. And I'll be honest, guys, until Wayne Gretzky said that, I hadn't really thought of how the NHL changed. Until I was going through this docuseries, I hadn't thought, you know what? During the lockout, if they could have looked at one team and said, this is how we want the league to play, even though you guys didn't have the ultimate success, you guys entertained in such a fashion that it's almost like they took that template and said, okay, we kind of want it to look like this. Marcus, did you ever feel like an innovator in that sense or have your teams looked at in that sense? No, not, not when you're in the midst of it, but, but I, uh, I remember that, that we had uh, a, a big following outside of Vancouver too. And people came up to us and, and said that they really enjoyed us playing. And, and when we went, uh, to other cities, we had a lot of fans cheering for for our team, which might happen even now. I don't know, but but I I, I think that it might have had something to do with us playing a little differently. And and I'm not saying that we were the only line or team that that did it, but um, our goal was to try to to have fun, and with that came entertainment because we we uh, and I I have to to say there too. I think. Mark Crawford gave us a lot of freedom. He trusted us enough that he knew that we would make up for the mistakes that we would. It's impossible not not to make mistakes if you're playing a high tempo game and you you, you challenge uh, players. But he trusted us, and he was uh, he, because if we didn't, feel, or at least I, I I can speak for myself. If I don't, if I don't feel the the trust of the coach and know that I. I'm okay. He's going to throw me out there on the power play again, even if I'm screwing up once or twice. It's difficult to to play loose and play relaxed, and and you need to do that to to be able to make the the extra plays um, for the line to score. Todd, it's interesting that Marcus brings up Mark Crawford because I wanted to ask you about that. One of the things that fascinated me throughout the course of the series was your relationship with Mark Crawford, and obviously it got to a breaking point at the time that you were eventually traded to Florida. But then later in the series, you mentioned, Todd, you know, you go to a couple different places and you realize that you might've missed what you had. Was he the right coach for you? And do you think you would have gotten to where you got to if it wasn't for the style you were playing? I can easily in this podcast right now, put my feelings aside on, on the situation. Those are past situations and over time, Things heal. You think of things differently. You grow up. You mature. I've been around two different teams, cities. But I will say, you can't play the game without confidence. 
And the one thing that Mark did not take away from us was our confidence. Confidence does everything for you as an athlete. You can accomplish so much if you're at the peak of your profession and you're feeling it each and every night. Like Marcus said, you're not getting benched for a turnover. A lot of our success came from 50-50 plays that a lot of lines aren't allowed to do, but we were able to do them and, and try them and know that that's where Mo comes in, that a lot of the down low neutral zone 50-50 plays that we're trying to make, we knew that Mo was already playing a 200-foot game before that was even thought of that uh, we had protection all the time with him so I would say yes Mark gave us the confidence and all that but it was also who you played with we knew that if we were going to try things and do things that Mo was able and intelligent enough as a hockey player to go back and take care of responsibilities that uh, sometimes uh, we took for granted but we knew that he would have our back and it's no different than when you get to the offensive zone Mo felt the same way at certain times that Mo was going to get the puck in certain situations and we just fed off that but it was a combination like I said confidence confidence is everything you can ask any great athlete at their peak of uh, their profession that they contributed to the confidence that person behind you gave you instilled in you and allowed you to play that style of hockey. Support for Unreal West Coast Express comes from New Balance. Hey, I'm an active guy, and New Balance has literally supported me for well over a decade. From distance running to trail running to walking my dog, I've always got New Balance on my feet. Lately, it's been all about the Fresh Foam X series for me. 1080s for the road, heroes for the trail, and 880s for everything else. Support your feet and support local. Check out the lineup of Fresh Foam X athletic shoes today at your local New Balance store in Richmond, Delta, and Langley. At Toyota, our vehicles have always had quality and durability built right in. Because in winter, even our potholes have potholes. Quality means everything to us because it means everything to you. Lease a 2023 RAV4 LE all-wheel drive from $99 weekly for 60 months at 7.19% APR with $2,800 down. Order yours today. Visit shoptoyota.ca or your Pacific Toyota dealer. It's time to Toyota. Brendan, a couple of minutes ago, Marcus mentioned the following you guys had on the road. One of the other moments that stood out for me when I was putting this together was when Trevor Linden said, we'd go into places like Detroit, and we all know what that organization did and what it represents. And people in Detroit would be saying to you guys, oh, we're so glad you're here because you're so much fun to watch and these games are great. We had a listener ask this, so I'll use that as the conduit to it. For each of you, and we'll start with you, Brendan, what was your favorite road city to play in and why? Well, there's probably a couple, Scotty. Like I, I did like coming to Detroit just because of the fact that I played at University of Michigan and, and as a college kid, we'd go down and play at the Joe sometimes. So I had some familiarity with that rink. And, and like you said, Detroit had some powerhouse teams in the late 90s and early 2000s. And, and they were like a measuring stick for us, if you will. So it was always a big challenge going in there, playing against guys like Eiserman and Fedorov and, you know, the whole the whole lineup. I mean, it's endless, right? Hall of Famers there, Shanahan, and the list goes, Brett Hall, the list goes on and on. Two other rinks I enjoyed the most were would be Montreal, the Bell Centre, and uh, Madison Square Garden. The history of Madison Square Garden, when you walk out of the dressing room down the tunnel and, you know, you just see all the pictures of the performing acts that have been there in the past, no, not only athletics, but, uh, you know, musical artists and things like that. It's a pretty neat environment. You know, being in Montreal, I think the fan base is extremely educated. 
and they are appreciative of of good hockey, whether you're the home team or the visiting team. And um, it was just always a real fun buzz anytime we played there. What about you, Marcus? Probably have to pick two uh, two places. Then I I enjoyed going to Toronto because it was, I mean, it, they had a lot of fans in Vancouver too, so there was always a lot of hype for the home games in Vancouver. But but uh, also going going out and playing in Toronto there was such a focus on because it doesn't didn't happen that often maybe once a year if we're lucky a couple of times but um uh, that's one of the the places that i enjoyed and got me up a little extra and and um i would agree with brendan to even new york uh i i think that it's a, such a special uh arena to play in and and new york always had uh, uh, high-end talent they never really during our uh, era they didn't really put together good teams but they had good players and it was fun to try to measure up against them too and you Todd pretty much what the guy said I think uh, me being from uh, eastern Ontario and having uh, family and friends who spent many late hours uh, when we're playing on the west coast being up and watching our games and all that but when you're coming into Toronto, you got all your family and friends around and Toronto fans are very, very passionate. Uh, they love their team to be a Canadian team coming in there from the West coast. It was always like, who was the, the bigger team. And then going to New York was always awesome. The glitz, the glamor was, uh, the atmosphere certainly loved playing in uh, LA too, with what Wayne did over there. We were able to always go in there on a little bit of a road trip, have a couple of days, walk across the beach. And then you go into that that arena, and it, I don't know, it just felt like make-believe sometimes, and it was fun to go on and put on some good shows over there too. Nobody said Minnesota? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking, hey? Yeah. Well, we did have one person ask this. Do you guys still have nightmares about West Walls? And he's obviously referring to the series against Minnesota in the playoffs. Do you guys think about that at all, or is it only when it gets brought up by somebody like this during conversation? No, I, I can I can actually go back sometimes and and think of him specifically because he was a monster in that series. Uh, how he skated and just the level he played played on during that that uh, series. And I mean, it happens even now when I watch the the Swedish leagues. There's sometimes guys that really step up in the playoff series and and. That brings me up, brings me back to what he, uh, and that series in general, being up, being B one, and um, and not being able to pull it off. That, that's a, that's a tough one to swallow. What about you guys? I find I myself thinking about it more this time of year, just when the playoffs are on. It's, it's what you play for. It's the most important time of the year, and as you get older, you appreciate it more and more. Things were lining up so perfect that year for us. We gave them life in Game Five, and as as we all know, uh, momentum shifts are huge, and and the pendulum swings one way, and another team can't regain it. And I think about the Game Seven quite often back home, where we were up to nothing at home late in the second period. Maybe ninety nine out of a hundred times we win that game, and I and I remember they got a really lucky goal at the end of the second period. We had full possession of the puck, and I think it was Merrick Malik who went to go clear the puck around the net and, and made the right play. He got the puck up off the ice, and it hit like a shaft in midair and went over the net, landed in front of the net, and I don't know who scored, but they they put the puck into a wide-open net, and it was just like 
how does that even happen? You know, then we're up to one, but they get a bit of life there. We get a little tense at home and we know the story. So man, that one hurts a lot for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if frequent nightmares is, would be the right answer, but it hurts for sure when you, when you do think about it, but it's one of those things too, when out of sight, out of mind, you don't think about it. But again, when playoffs come up, I do think about it. Todd, I should probably just ask you directly now because part of the myth or lore of that series, whether it was true or not, was that you chirped some Minnesota fans, told them not to buy tickets, and then there was the alleged comment going by the wild bench that you told them to get their golf clubs ready. Did that stuff actually happen or not? I don't think it reflected on the outcome of the, of the series, but <laughs> sometimes my big mouth would get me into trouble and uh, yeah, it's pretty much accurate. You know what? I played on other, I played on different teams and all that, and I've been around a lot of Stanley Cup champions. And I've uh, now that I've gotten older, I've been able to hang out with a lot of the older guys from the alumni and hear their stories and all that. And it really takes so much luck and so much health, and uh, and how to handle adversity and bad and bad breaks and all that. And I'm not going to say we we're we were immature in that department. I just don't, I think we could have handled it a lot better, but it's easier said now that I'm older how to handle it because I've been in a few rooms where we uh, lost to Anaheim in the Western Finals and there was a lot of bad breaks and bumps, but just how collectively that dresser in Detroit handled adversity and situations, I think I could have I did a lot better on how I handle it and uh, how I approached it. I'll never get them credit. They were just lucky. Well, one of the things that sticks out to me about the three of you, and that's a good example of it, is that it doesn't always work out, but you guys were personalities and you had a team full of personalities as well. And we heard from a lot of them during the course of this podcast. We don't always see that in hockey, but you guys had so many different personalities on that team that people could relate to. Were you guys cognizant of that at the time, Marcus? I don't know. I, I think we we had a, a open locker room where everyone felt comfortable, and maybe that came from we had strong personalities and colorful individuals. But we also had guys that they were fairly quiet and and still were a huge part of our, our team and and uh, um, unsung heroes. I mean, if you look at a guy like Sammy Sal or Matthias Olden, how how good they were i mean they were top defensemen in the, the defensemen in the league and they had their personality and their uh, style of, of um, playing the game I, I don't know if we made a big deal out of the different personalities but it was a fun it was a fun bunch to be around and maybe that's what attracted us to to the fans um, or or the fans attracted oh i don't know if i put it <laughs> the wrong way around you're the one who usually helps me out with that but um no but i, so I, I think it started with with us uh, enjoying our each other and and uh, the the friendship and it and i also think that uh, berkey wouldn't bring in people that 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 didn't have that type of personality that that would fit in in our lock, locker room because I, I think we had a, a tight group all the way to the guys that were healthy scratches. They, they were still a big part of our, our group and, and when we went out for dinners or whatever we did. So um, it would definitely would have been a, a really fun fun bunch of guys to win with, that's for sure. Ignazi, to your point there about uh, 
personalities and that. And I don't know if you guys remember, but I can't remember the exact year, but we were in Nashville. We were struggling a little bit down the stretch. And, and that's when we had uh, Tyler Balk and Wade Brookbank on our team. And, and I think I think they had a coaches meeting and they basically told those guys, listen, guys, you're not going to play for the rest of the year unless somebody gets hurt. But we need you guys to be good teammates and, uh, you know, support the guys, work hard and practice. So we had a big team meeting and we needed to win that night and we got shellacked. But those guys showed up to the game. I don't know if you guys remember, they showed up and they bought all new attire, cowboy apparel, boots, hat, jeans, like jean shirt. They show up to the game. We got shellacked like 5 nothing in like a big, huge game. <laughs> and, and the team went out that night and those guys thought they were going to be in the biggest trouble ever, right? Because they were kind of... You know, but they're they're good teammates. They're getting the boys loose and, and doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, I think the coaches appreciated that. And I know the players did, but that just puts a smile on the face when you think of guys like that and stories like that. Well, that's the beauty of it, I would think, especially in that era. And Todd, maybe you can comment on this as well, is that those players didn't get the publicity. The occasional one did like a Harold Drukin because he has the big game. And so his name's in headlines for a little bit. But the Lee Gorans of the world or the Brookbanks or the Bokes, it seemed like you guys all just meshed together, Todd. Nobody really seemed too far out of place. No, you're only as good as uh, your depth and the character. Obviously, we're, we were on the first, second line or whatever, but everyone below uh, knew their role, contributed. And you can only go as, as so far. A line can carry you so far. You need your character guys and your third, fourth liners to chip in. And we had that. We had toughness and Donald Bashirs, Brad Mays, we had uh, Matt Cooks, uh, the Sedins were coming up. We had a lot of guys that contributed a lot of times. Like, sure, we were on the score sheet a lot of time, but there was also a lot of guys that contributed to big-time moments that uh, happened in Canuck history. And I think it was a credit to our group that we all made everyone feel comfortable and worthy and, and part of the one goal where no one was ever – Sean or, or thought of any differently because we could only all get it done collectively. And I think that's what Marcus and Mo say with, with the group of misfit characters that we had in that room and how we came together so quickly and, and uh, turned that organization around and, and, and the thought of that team, uh, you're only as good as the next guy beside you. And I think captain and Marcus, our leadership group made sure that everyone knew their, their role and, and how important each and every one uh, was to the common goals trying to win. So for most of the listeners, this was their first chance to hear the story as told by the people who lived it, that behind the scenes version that I think a lot of us are attracted to. You guys knew that story and you knew the behind the scenes portion. So I'm wondering for each of you, why it was compelling to listen to the podcast for you guys. Well, if I, if I were to start here, I, I would say that there was a lot of other stuff that, that might have not made the headlines or, or that we might have been aware of, but was happening parallel to us playing. Uh, you spotlighted and even listening to the other people talking about us too. They, I mean, it's just interesting how, how they view what we did uh, so, so that and also bringing it all together with it, the timelines and just seeing uh, how much coincidence um, happens in in in, uh, in everyone's lives but but also in your career what about for you Todd 
Like I stated earlier in the show, there, there was a lot of stuff that uh, I've forgotten. Uh, I haven't remembered through different kind of circumstances, but there was a couple episodes I had to re-listen over. There's, uh, it's even, and, and not to be disrespectful, but there, there were some players that, that came through uh, very briefly and all that, that I forgot about at times. I think as you get older and you move on and you play on different teams, just hearing some of the different players, hearing different things that happen and all that, like, like for instance, not to bring it up, but I didn't know Mayday had two goals at one game and he still, still continues to tell me about it, that he had two goals and two fights. And if he would have had three goals and two fights, it would have been the greatest game of his life. So and he, and he, and he constantly remember, uh, reminds me of that, but it was nice to get a refresher. Obviously there's some hard things to listen to and, and hear about and all that, but, I think as you get older and, and you understand, it was just, I don't know. Overall, it was just nice to hear the amount of people that you went out and got to contribute to the show. It was very nice to hear Mo talk and Nazi talk. And it just brought back a lot of, I'll tell you right now, brought back 90% of better memories than, than, than negative ones. And uh, it's, it was kind of fun just putting yourself back in that time zone again and the road trips, the plane rides the different series, different situations. You just, it ended up being a refresher for myself of uh, uh, that time there. Well, that game that you referenced, Todd, is obviously the March 8th game. And we all know this. That's the most difficult part of the story to talk about. It's tougher than all of the rest of it, but it had to be discussed. One of the things Brendan said to me at some point during this was that you guys had never really talked about it since the time, which I completely understand. So. I'm wondering if there was anything cathartic or therapeutic about listening to it and maybe closing a chapter there. I don't know. I'm going to go through the rest of life always remembering a situation. Uh, it, it, I'm going to use my own. It is what it is. I, I understand everything is unfortunate. It's unfortunate the way everything happened. It's unfortunate lives changed. Uh, a lot of lives changed. And a lot of people don't know how drastically some other lives changed uh, throughout the process. No, I'm okay talking about it now. It's uh, time is healed. Time has moved on. Something you live with for the rest of your life. And, uh, and, and I'm okay with it. I just, just to add one more thing on it. The one thing I did gather and I picked up is I wish I would have been uh, able to, to hang in there for another year or two instead of uh, leaving to Florida. Um, I wish I was stronger. It took, it shit kicked me and it took a lot out of me and I don't think I was able to, I wasn't at a point in my, in my life or in my career to be able to continue to confront and be in that situations. But I, I really wish that I would have been able to have been strong enough to stay in there. Cause I know for a fact, even though the Sedins were coming and they were pushing for number one ice time, number one power play time as a competitors, we would have competed with them to make sure that that never happened, even if it did happen. And I just think if you would have had the two line combinations that were at the peak of their uh, careers going together, I think there could have been some, uh, some great things to happen ahead. So I, I would say probably that. Brendan, you're the one who brought it up to me. Was there anything cathartic or therapeutic for you going through that part of it? I mean, obviously a very difficult and an emotional thing. I, I will say, like I know, I know, and there's nothing wrong with this. I know Todd and Marcus were were tighter 
than I was probably with Marcus or I was with Todd. So they may have had some discussion about it at some point, but, but I, I always respected Todd's space regarding that and, and never wanted to bring up that incident. And, 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 he, and he, I battled with it internally at times, like, should I reach out to him at, and just check on him, see how he's doing or what you're trying to do positively. Will it be superseded by having uh, that, the negativity of that situation creep back in? So I always, I always kind of avoided it consciously. And I've always wanted to, at some point, you know, not, not, not like selfishly for me, I needed closure on it or anything like that, but I always just wanted to make sure that Todd was okay. What about you, Marcus? Yeah, I, I think it's it's uh, it's tough to explain the impact um, that it had. I mean, especially on Todd and how we all felt for Todd uh, going through this. It made things complicated with the focus on. I mean, the negativity that was brought on by by the media and and constantly nagging at Todd when we went to different cities or or always there's always reminders so we could we couldn't even though after Todd's suspension was done and we we played together again it wasn't like you could put it behind and, and move forward I don't know what we as a, a, a line could have done differently I mean I talked to to Todd quite a bit and um, but it's it's still it's obviously impossible to undo and I know Todd wanted to undo it but um, but then you're you're just faced with reality uh, which was it was unfortunate um, and this is I mean this is way beyond hockey because hockey is, is one thing that's I mean we we could have hopefully been a, a, a good line for a few more years, but but also j just everything else that came with it. I mean, I don't know half of it, but I'm uh, I'm aware of the mountain that that Todd had had to climb. Well, as Todd said a few minutes ago, ninety percent of the listen brought back enjoyable memories. That's obviously not an enjoyable one, but ninety percent of the listen for the people who responded and the people who gave commentary, which was the audience was positive and i just want to relay a couple of those things to you one of the things that get said constantly in my mentions anytime we put out an episode is look these were the guys who either got me into hockey or brought me back to hockey like those three players and that team that's the reason i'm still a hockey fan today or that's why i actually reinvested myself in the game Todd, it's been 20 years, but how does that make you feel when you hear that from someone? I've actually heard it often from going to a lot of the alumni events and and uh, actually playing uh, in these events. You play against people that grew up watching you, uh, that were around you, that got into the game because of our line, because of us individually. Uh, I had a, a gentleman, I think he was 35 in Toronto event, came up to me and uh he had his 44 Bertuzzi jersey on, and he said, this is the reason why. And he's not from from here. He's from another country, and he was paying attention, and then he moved over here, and that got him to hockey. And I know there's a lot of those situations and uh, and things that have that have happened as, as I've gone around and met people and all that. And it's, it's quite humbling to know that 
yourself, you just considered just a hockey player and all you want to do is just go play hockey and, and win, uh, that you would have, uh, these kind of impacts on, on individuals and, uh, and people. It's, it's pretty special. They're like, like you said, there's about 99% positive feedback and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, there's always that 1%, but those people are sad in general, but, uh, it's all been rewarding and, uh, very humbling as you get older, uh, the kind of impact that you, that you actually have. Do either of you guys want to jump in on that at all? From my perspective, I don't know if there can be a, a, a single better compliment when you have somebody come up to you and, and says that they started watching hockey or they got back into hockey because of your team or your line or you as an individual. I mean, that's that's probably the pinnacle compliment right there. All right. One of the other stories that popped up a few times, and I don't know why this surprised me so much, but there were a bunch of listeners who wanted to detail to me that when they were listening to this podcast, they were having conversations about it with their families. So you'd have a person who said, my dad and I are both listening to it. And when we meet up during the week, we're talking about the episode and we're reliving what we went through as fans together. And there were sometimes three generations involved where grandfathers were talking to grandsons and their sons in between. What kinds of conversations were you guys having with your families during this series? Because your kids were pretty young when you guys were in the, height of your powers, Marcus? Yeah, both my daughters were listening, um, brought up to me that, that I mean, they see how, how uh, hard I am on myself about what could have happened. And, and so they said, you should be proud of what, what you did, uh, which is flattering coming from, from your own kids. Uh, the, the point you made too, Scott, with uh, families talking about the the podcast and, and talking about uh, the memory, that's what makes playing in, in Canada so special too, that the impact you have on people's lives and how much it means to people. And uh, um, just the, the passion the Canadian people have for uh, for their game. If, if I were to look at the positives is that I had a chance to play 12 years in, in my mind, uh, the greatest city in North America and with a fan base that, that is so passionate and uh, that I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they at some point get to see a, a championship team there too. Yeah, I mean, they came in the league in 1970 and still hasn't won the championship. So they deserve it. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll leave it at that. I'm, I'm very happy that I, that, that I got to be a part of, a little part of the, the history. Brendan, I'll finish with you on the family question as well, because I'm sure your kids were pretty interested. Yeah, it was interesting to hear comments from, like you said, different generations from my mom and dad or my, my in-laws um, to, my, to my kids. And I think like Marcus said, like, you know, b- be proud. Don't dwell on things that might have happened or could have happened, but you know, think about the things that you guys did accomplish. I know Marcus and Todd are similar to to me and and most hockey players in general. Is you, you don't ever really talk about yourself or your career. Or, you know, you, you never. You know, I meet people today and they have no idea what I've done in in the past. You know, none of us talk about oh, I you know, 
open your conversation with, oh, I was a professional athlete for 14, 15 years. You know, it just, this memory that's kind of been tucked away in this box a little bit and it's like this treasure chest and you've kind of, it's been found again in a sense and it's it's brought back a, a ton of great emotions and feelings and and to have the story told by a third party like you and to bring in so many other sources who are close to the story or the journey and to get their perspectives and opinions, like you said, former teammates like Jovo and, you know, Trev, and then you have management involved in the Sedines, Danny and Hank, and, you know, guys that played at a high, high level for a long period of time and to get their perspective on things and just to kind of get a sense of how they, they, they appreciated that time period. It's a, a lifetime keepsake that you've kind of put together for that time period. And um, it's, it's very, very unique and, and um, special. Well, I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to say, but I want to say this to all three of you now that we're all together. Thank you so much for trusting me with your story. I didn't send you guys any money. I didn't do anything other than call each of you and say, I'd like to put this together. And you all said yes. And you didn't have to. And you knew that parts of this were going to be difficult. But you all trusted me to tell this as accurately as possible. And I'm so grateful that you guys were willing to do that. So I just want to say from me to each one of you, thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I hope one day it'll work out, maybe in the not too distant future, to get all of you in the same room together and we can do this live and maybe we can have some interaction with some people who enjoyed watching you guys and following you and listening to this podcast so much. Until then, I wish all of you guys and your families well. To all of the listeners and viewers out there, stay tuned. We'll have updates on any of that to follow. But thank you very much for listening. This has been a blast. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Scotty. Thank you. Thanks for listening to and watching Unreal West Coast Express. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast or on YouTube for exclusive content and news about future seasons. For more information, head to unrealsports.com. That's unreal, U-N-R-E-E-L sports.com.